Okay, straight through ball, and we have kicked off. It is the podcast, the Play On podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check us out on all your streaming services, straight to your ear, straight to your phone. Um, don't forget, also check out Beer Rap and Banter the, on the Beer Rap and Bants podcast platform. I, as always, go by the name of Ben English. Hope you're all well. And big up, Cal. Serious there, just sending us a message. What's going on, Cal? What's up? What's up? What's up? Nice, nice, nice. And always, we've got Ash as well. Mr. Mr. Flair, how you doing, sir? Yeah, bro. You know me. I'm here. Sam. Always, always, always. He's got his bags packed. He's halfway out the door. He's gonna, he's gonna represent the podcast today, playing football, a little tournament. So yeah. Yeah. Good, good luck. Good luck on that one, man. Safe. Enjoy the sun while uh, me and Cow are at home. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, guys, you know, people listening, make sure you're safe. There seems to be light at the end of the tunnel and uh, there's football's coming thick and fast, which obviously we're going to talk about today with them, a lot of the focus on the Euros coming up. So just a quick mention, we've got, it was released, the team of the year, the PFA team of the year. And I'll just read through it and then I'll, I'll get Cal and then Ash's views on sort of how they felt it compared to our team, obviously, that we put out. So we had Edison in goal, uh, Cancelo. Ruben Diaz and John Stones, and then accompanied with, by Luke Shaw. Then we had Gundogan in the middle with Kevin De Bruyne. Do you like how I did that? Yeah, that was uh, a master pronunciation. Don't know. Thank you, man. I, think I, I was watching some guy on TikTok, and he goes, this is how you pronounce all the Dutch players, like Vinaldum. So I was trying to get it in. Uh, so we got De Bruyne. I'll say it again. There we go. Big up our uh, Belgian listeners. Gundogan, a.k.a. Gundogan. And Mr. Penalty, Mr. Teeth, Bruno Fernandes. And then up front, we've got Mo Salah, Harry Kane and Hong Ming Sun. Um, Cal, what were your thoughts on that team of the year? People are saying sort of no arguments there. Obviously, we had a few different players, but what were your views on that? Um, I think I did have Sun and De Bruyne in my personal team. Um, so I'm looking at this team and I'm thinking it's pretty much identical to mine. Apart from I didn't have Stones in my team. I had Rudiger, um, and um, yeah, I think I might have went for Trent over Cancelo, but I can't hate on Cancelo. Like the guy's been absolutely brilliant. He's more than a right back, isn't he? Um, so yeah, the, the team is awesome, man. I do think that if this team went up against our team, our team would win because you know they ain't got no defensive midfield, man. Indeed, he would just chew up those guys, just like Man City got chewed up by Chelsea in the Champions League final because they didn't have any, you know, any strong players in the midfield to win the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a strong team. I, I don't think you can really argue with this team that they definitely have the best players in there. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so, yeah, I haven't got much to say about it apart from this. It's just a solid lineup, man. Nice. Ash? Yeah, no, I think... <laughs> Obviously, Man City have been the dominant team, so they've got six players. Um, makes sense. I don't agree with um, don't agree with Edison as the goalkeeper. I think he's been good, but I, I think we picked a, a better keeper. I definitely think Ndidi needs to be in there. I think he has been the best defensive midfielder in the league by country mile. And I think sometimes what they do with these teams is they just shoehorn in all the players that they want to rather than actually pick a team that's got a decent structure. Mm. So um, I know Gundogan, I know Gundogan can play DM. And as um, Cal alluded to, he did that in the 
in the Champions League final, not to the best effect. So I would definitely put Ndidi in, balance the team up. And I think Son's a good shot. Like, I know Grealish had a great season, and I think if he wasn't injured, then that's the case. But Son scored 17 goals, 11 assists for a team that finished seventh. So it's mm. not bad, it is was, it? He was like a golden eye in the N64, one shot, one kill. He's, his finishing was um, got them out of a lot of bother at that period when they were when they were flying high. Um, interesting you're touching on two players there. I just want to sort of touch on Edison and what you said uh, Gundogan playing in like a defensive mid and then Cal made a great segue to the Champions League final. Obviously, all English final, which some people weren't too happy with in terms of, well, we see these teams play at least, you know, twice a season, obviously in the cup semis or whatever, they, they, they might clash again. So were they going to offer anything new? And uh, other other people, obviously, they, they think it's good for English football. So we have Man City again, failing to sort of deal with Tuchel and classic, I think Ash, you mentioned this in the WhatsApp group the other week, just Pep being Pep, just overthinking things. Mm. He he didn't play uh, like a, a known sort of defensive mid or, or sitting mid there. Fernandinho, Rodri, uh, neither of them started. And um, I mean, Chelsea just, I mean, it, it could have been more than one nil, I felt. And uh, Chelsea sort of just, just, just ran at them, ran at them. We chose... Uh, Mendy is our keeper, didn't we, if I remember rightly. Yep. And it was sort of a rush of blood by the Man City keeper sort of coming out against Havertz and sort of not not dealing with that through ball. Amazing through ball by Mount, by the way. Um, I was surprised at how much space that he had and how much space that run created to sort of slot that, slot that through ball. But, um, yeah, a bit of a funny game there. Ash, what were your thoughts on sort of Pep? trying to overthink things maybe the biggest game of, of, of his club's career obviously they've just won the league they're the dominant team everyone's favorites and then he mm. just sort of pulls this strange uh, tactical and sort of player player uh, move where he didn't start either of them this is my biggest issue with pep is that he just overthinks things and does and he just makes choices that don't make sense there were three key choices that didn't really make well two key choices that didn't really make sense in that game um the first was playing zinchenko um what they tend to do is if they play, they, whenever they play Walker and they play Cancelo, they've got the pace and recovery of Walker, but they've also got the ability for Cancelo to drop into midfield, make it like almost an overload in the midfield. And he normally has a very good relationship with whoever's playing in front of him. So the mistake comes more from Zinchenko than the goalkeeper on the goal because Zinchenko at no point is goal side. At no stage is he actually where he should be with Havertz. I think it's a good ball for Mason Mount. I don't think it's a world-class ball. It wasn't exactly like eye of the needle. There was a gaping hole for him to kind of exploit. Havertz done well. I think Edison has to come out like that. And actually, do you remember when um, do you remember when um, in our final 2006, when um, Lehman came out a bit rash and took out Eto and completely ruined it? He's come out, realised where he is, knows he can't take the man down and actually knows he can't use his hands. So he was a little bit unlucky because it kind of ricocheted off of him but just felt kindly to Havertz. And it was, a, it was a good finish. I definitely think the best team won on the day. I remember watching the game and just being really, really disappointed with with uh, Man City. It's almost like they didn't really... They, they showed up for about 15 minutes, and that was it. And I think another big decision was actually starting Sterling. Sterling, who hasn't seen much football in the last two months, there's been a reason for that. And I think as good as Sterling can be, there's they lack a level of... Con- they, they lack control when he's on the pitch. When they had kind of Foden... 
um, De Bruyne in the false nine. Then you've got like Bernardo Silva in the pitch, Gundogan making like the, like the late runs and having Rodri as the base. You kind of give yourself like a much better foundation to go and attack the game. And then what also happens then is Mares is almost seen as the outlet. He gets a lot more ball. And the more ball you give Mares, the better he is. By bringing on Sterling, you've almost got two outlets. So Mares sees less of the ball and is less effective. Sterling sees more of the ball, but isn't as effective as Mares. And then you've got no one who's really going to stop arguably Chelsea's strongest position, which is the centre of midfield. And I thought Kante was amazing. And actually, you needed someone like Rodri to be in there to kind of combat Chelsea's strongest area. It was just a complete. It was it was a complete like mess up by Pep, and as a result, the best team deserved to win the Champions League. Yeah, well said, Cal. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that I did think Chelsea's goal was really nice. Um, great ball from Mount deep in midfield, just absolutely. It was like a threading a needle. You know that pass was really precise, good weighted through ball, and um, I actually thought Havertz should have done better with the finish because. He kind of he kind of got lucky with the way he rounded the keeper, you know. The keeper almost got to it and, and saved that. Um but uh yeah, in general, Chelsea like Werner had a great chance in the first half and he's just had that kind of season where he gets chances and he misses and misses and he misses and he did the same against City in the final. I thought maybe they should have taken him off. Um but it turns out they didn't need to in the end. They didn't need any more goals than the one that they got. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, really and truly, it was a, a quite a close contest, you know, only one goal in it. Uh, even though on the balance of play, I thought Chelsea created more chances and could have scored more goals. It could have been like a 2-0 two, two at least type of score. But as kind of Ash alluded to, Pep Guardiola cost Manchester City the Champions League. Mm. And, you know, I don't know why he he does these things. I guess it's a it's a, he kind of treads that line between genius and madness. Like you know, we've seen that clip where he kind of looks at the chair next to him and he starts talking to it like he's talking to him, like like he wished Arteta was still there and he's talking to the ghost of Arteta. <laughs> um, so I guess there's a little bit of madness in him there. Um, and sometimes he comes up with these genius decisions. Like um, there was a Premier League game, I forget who it was against, but he played uh, Sterling in centre midfield, and I was thinking, what on earth are you doing? Like the guy's not dropping short, coming short to collect the ball off of the defence and he's not tracking back and, you know, but then he popped up with a goal because he was bombing forward from centre midfield, kind of like a, a Paul Scolzi-esque late run and uh, and he ended up scoring. Um, so I think he nipped the ball off of uh, Aguero's toes in that game, actually. And Aguero wasn't too happy about that, but there you go. So he can make these good decisions or, or these... Decisions that, decisions that seem strange and you'd think, what on earth are you doing? It's madness. But then it, if it works, it turns out to be a stroke of genius, something that nobody would think to do, like playing Sterling in centre midfield. But when you when it doesn't work out, then you just look like you don't know what you're doing, do you? Um, it seems obvious that, you know, you need Rodri in that midfield. You need Fernandinho in that midfield. I don't know why they didn't play. Maybe Pep was thinking... I think maybe in Pep Guardiola, there's a bit of an idealist, like in the way that Arsene Wenger was. Um, how uh, Arsene always had this philosophy of playing um, technical football, and he just got further and further into his philosophy the longer that his his career at Arsenal went, and to the point where he forsook, or I don't know how to say it, forsaked the 
you know, the necessary ingredients in English football, like the, the having big, strong, powerful players, having players with like, you know, like a winning mentality, players that are almost like kind of thugs, like that are willing to fight and, you know, and really win you the game with their physical prowess. And he just went all in on the technical side and getting these, these fancy kind of technical players. And in the end, that didn't really work out. And the comparison I'm making is saying that I think Pep kind of tried to do that in the Champions League final. He wanted to win the final and not just to win it, but to win it in a style with technical footballers all over the pitch, no defensive midfielder, um, maybe even no recognised striker. He's been playing without a striker for for the majority of the season. Um, And uh, I think in this game, they went with De Bruyne up front. So... (laughs) <laughs> no defensive midfielder, no striker. What what actually are you doing? He's trying to do something new. He's trying to, you know, win the final and then have everybody look back and say what um, a masterstroke it was to win it in that fashion. Mm. But unfortunately, it just didn't work. Chelsea were too strong. They have been all season. If I had to directly compare um, Edison and Mendy in that game... I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't think I can say Mendy's a better keeper. I do think that Mendy had a better defence protecting him on that day, though. Mm, probably didn't have to do as much. Um, it was an interesting decision and obviously one that paid off for Chelsea in the end. Right, moving on. Another final that seemed to go on with uh, the penalty shootout finally be decided with 11-10 to 10 by Villarreal. They've won the uh, trophy first time in their club's history. Um, it seemed to be, you know, the upsets. Everyone thought Man United would walk this. Arsenal bottled the semi-final. Man United looked pretty much a shoo-in for winning it. And then they just couldn't break Villarreal down. Uh, and, you know, any surprises? Well, I, I was one was surprised that they just didn't turn up or they just weren't on it. Kudos to Mr. Good Evening himself, Unai Emery, who just seems to be just doing it again and again with, with a, you know, this time with a different team and with no sort of recognised star in the Villarreal team. They just were solid. The yeah. two banks of four, they just made it really difficult. They doubled up on, on people on the wing. Uh, Greenwood started and I sort of don't think he offered that much. Rashford was just completely, pff, this was his time to shine. Uh, wasn't able to do it. Fernandez wasn't there. Pogba, I thought, OK, we're going to have the inspirational Paul Pogba halftime talk like he did for France in the in the World Cup. He didn't. He he wasn't given any time at all. He was closed down. So and in the end, you know, this this game played out for a draw and then on penalties as anyone. So you've got to be uh, got to be scratching your head if you're Man United fans thinking, how have they not walked away with a trophy this season? And um, Ash, what's your thoughts on this? And then Cal, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, similar. So, again, I, I looked at the, the lineup and. Oli, Oli, Oli. Like, there's a, there's been a reason why he hasn't been playing Pogba centrally. And Pogba's best performances have kind of come either off the left or kind of off the right, where they almost play like a 2-2-2. Two, two, two. So they've got McFred, McFred, um, McTominay <laughs> and Fred as the two. You kind of got Bruno doing what Bruno does. And then, like, Pogba was almost in line with him. And they were both, like, kind of like the creative hub of the team. And then they have, like, either Cavani, Rashford or Greenwood as the front two. So, but the moment that you put Pogba into the centre, it just meant that in the middle of the park, Tommy was left to do a bit too much by himself. And they haven't quite worked out the balance for that. He was, Going a, he through was the, the game, best player, I felt. He was, Tommy had, had yeah, a great yeah, yeah, game. No, he, he had was. a lot to do. 
He was, but I feel like when you've got him and Fred there, it gives the base. And I've noticed that Bruno plays better when those two are behind him. It's almost mm-hmm. like he doesn't have to think about what's going on behind him. He just knows that all they've got to do is spoil and give him the ball. Yeah. Whereas when Pog was there, it's almost like if he goes, I stay. And then if I go, he stays. It's, it's, there's, there's almost like a question around how they how they balance that that like those three positions. Um, I thought Greenwood was a little bit unlucky. I thought they kind of starved of service. I think... Oli's done this a few times this season because in all the big games against the, the big teams, only the only game he's actually won is the Man City game. He tends to go to these teams, which he could beat, and he doesn't really go for it. So there was a 0-0 at Stamford Bridge, a 0-0 with us, a 0-0 with Liverpool as well. Like He doesn't really go for the jugular. Um, so it's, it's almost like he was like, OK, yeah, we'll just get to penalties. And the one thing about it is David De Gea has an awful penalty saving record. Like, I, I think... He went like something like two, two and a half years or three years without actually saving a penalty or or anyone missing a penalty against him. So when he went to the shootout, I had no faith that he was ever going to save one of them. Mm. So I just kind of knew that Villarreal were going to score. Like Villarreal would have had to have missed the penalty rather than him save it. And then obviously he was the person who actually missed the penalty and that was it. But yeah, um, shout out to, um, to um, Emery, man. Like the only team he hasn't won the Europa League with is Arsenal. There's <laughs> a lot. Uh, yeah, rub, rub, rub salt in the wound already. Um, um, that that penalty on. point that um, Ash touched on there, man. Wow, that it was it was really disappointing because you just had no faith in De Gea whatsoever. You knew he wasn't going to save anything. He's just not a penalty known to be a penalty saving keeper. Um, and um, just my thoughts on the game were that you know Emery knows how to win this competition, doesn't he? And he set his team up to be defensively solid. And I think. It's more of a case that they defended well and they frustrated Manchester United and they stopped Man U from playing, opposed to maybe Man U um, not turning up on the day and not not being good. I think I think this was actually a really good piece of football management from um, you know Emery and um, I was actually disappointed with the goal that they conceded. I thought that you know you know Gerard Moreno's a danger man. He's been banging in goals all season long. Um, and so for them to be a set piece where he ends up completely unmarked, um, I just thought that was unforgivable. You shouldn't be conceding a goal like that. You should have done better, United. Um, and um, yeah, the, the, it just seems like you wanted more. You were waiting for somebody to to turn up for a Fernandez or or a Pogba. I mean, Cavani got his goal, but it it, it wasn't enough. You wanted more, and you know Rashford as well. You like Greenwood. I'm not going to really place any blame on him because he's a youngster still um and uh, I, I i don't know there's a lot of hype around him but i don't see him being in the kind of mold of let's say like a wayne rooney or someone who's like a, a teen prodigy like a lot of people really talk him up and they say oh he's going to be better than rashford and, and and xyz but so far i see he's got a good finish on him but i don't see a whole lot more than that to his game really um correct me if i'm wrong you know somebody might have a different opinion but um Mm. I wasn't expecting him to do anything in the final. Maybe if a chance falls to his feet, he could put it away. But in a game like this, where you really needed a bit of magic, you needed someone to create something, I just didn't think they had enough players with that. You know, like maybe you needed a Berbatov that could just produce a moment of magic or, um, you know, like a Kanchelskis, like one of these Man United players of old that just had a whole bag of tricks that they could go into. I don't really think they had anyone that could do that, unfortunately. Mm. No one stepped up. Right. 
the Euros are upon us. Euros 2020, obviously, been uh, delayed through the global uh, pandemic that is COVID-19. And we have got the first round. So the first uh, first games of the groups uh, coming sort of next week. So by the time you hear this at the end of the week, Friday, the 11th, just go through these. And then, lads, we can talk about any games that sort of stand out. We've got Turkey against Italy kickstarting on Friday evening. That'll be a tasty game. And then throughout, we've got, oh, gone. Oh, we've got, where are we? Wales, Switzerland, Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia. My phone going through. Austria, North Macedonia, Netherlands, Ukraine, England, Croatia. I'm just going to interrupt with a throwback point. Why didn't Harry Maguire start in the Europa League final? Was he injured? Yeah, he's got ankle ligament damage. That's why he's actually touch and go to start for England in the Euros as well. There you go. Mm. Maybe could have helped him cross the line with the captaincy. England, Croatia, maybe Maguire could be back for that. Scotland, Czech Republic. Poland, Slovakia, Spain, Sweden, Hungary, Portugal, France, Germany. I mean, the games are obviously going to stand out for our listeners. Uh, the England-Croatia game, which is on the Sunday the 13th at 2 o'clock. That will be tasty. And also, I think France-Germany, from a footballing point of view, will be very tasty. Um, Cal, are you going to try and watch as many games as possible? Or are there certain games you're sort of marking on your calendar it's like right, i'm definitely watching that not really i'm hot and bothered already as enough as it is <laughs> and, um i don't think i'm going to be watching a whole lot of the euros i will definitely try and, and, and catch some games if i can get a ticket i might go in and, and see a game live um but i don't know what it is man the football fever hasn't taken over me um like it has done in previous tournaments maybe closer to the time the excitement will get hold of me a bit more but at the moment no, I'm looking forward to watching England play. I do think England-Scotland is going to be a game of football. That's going to be a real game of football. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But, um, yeah, we will see. I mean, again, I do like the look of the France team. I think they've got some absolutely incredible players. So I'll be watching all the England games. I'll be watching all the France games. Um, and, you know, just enjoying the festival of football that will be put in front of us yeah Ash are you going to be uh, watching some games sort of socialising social butterfly that you are <laughs> you know it's crazy do you know people call me a social butterfly for you to call me that damn it might have to be real um, yeah listen <laughs> I not, like I, not, I normally love football at summer tournaments like I'm all over it I've been this is the least prepared I've been for a tournament because I just think because the season's literally just finished, we've, we've been able to watch nearly all the games. It's very different mm-hmm. from how we normally would do. Like we have access to every single game that's been on TV this year. It, I just don't really feel that um, infused by it. I think once the tournament kicks off, then I'll be then I'll be up for it. I am actually going um, out and about to watch the France Germany game on Tuesday. That should be pretty cool. You know, nice, nice. To watch that. But yeah, I feel a bit weird about this tournament. I almost feel like it's a bit of an anticlimax. Um, but I do think once the tournament starts, I'll be fully invested. Um, looking at it, just generally, I think France um, are the favourites and rightly so. I think they've got an amazing team. They've got like great, like great strength, great depth. Um, I think a couple of teams have a puncher's chance. I think if England play the right team with the right setup, they can do something. Portugal have a lot of good players. Um, my only issue with Portugal is if whether is is if they hold too hold too closely to Ronaldo. I actually mm. think sometimes they look a little bit better when he's not playing. 
Um, and yeah, like I think they're the three teams that I'm going to be looking out for more than anyone else. But yeah, my my tip is France to win, um, and I think they're going to start with a with a with a pretty comfortable win against Germany. Actually, that's my call. Yeah, they looked. Um, I mean, they they had that result against Wales in the friendly, and there was Nico Williams sending off, which I think was a bit harsh with the handball, and then they ran right like three nil. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how these teams kickstart the tournament. You know, obviously a win is needed. And uh, England need to start strong against Croatia. I'll be trying to watch uh, as many games in the evening as possible. Obviously, there's some earlier kickoffs on the weekend, which I'll try and catch. But at a moment, baby duties, I'll be uh, I'll be watching the games with her rather than going to the pub or, or watching them in any fan zone areas. So watch the space. I, I think I think it will. Um, the fever will catch everyone especially with fans being there and, and lockdown, hopefully easing up even more so to the point and England doing well, the, the nation usually gets going. You get all the, you know, the newspapers or everyone with their, with their sing songs and flags and stuff. So I look forward to it. And, and the earlier games kicking off, I think Turkey could have a good one. It'd be interesting to see Turkey, Elitsi, off our Turkey have come and the new wave of Italian players, a lot younger, you know, so it should be interesting first game. And I think as long as England sort of, you know, a draw wouldn't be a terrible result against the, a solid Croatian team. Obviously, they're trying to win it, but you never know when it comes to England and international football. I saw an interesting fact regarding uh, this Italian team. Apparently, under uh, the uh, the boss, Roberto Mancini, they haven't lost a game since 2018. Can you believe that? Wow. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's I guess because in, in that... Because in international football, you don't play as frequently as you do in domestic football, it might seem like it's more games than it actually is. But it's still a long time. That's still a long time. And and that's going to give the club a lot of confidence, isn't it? So who knows? They might go into this tournament and they might be trying to do something. I saw the team and I thought, ooh. You know, they've got young Chiesa in there, um, Immobile. You know, they're always known for having strong defence. They've got uh, Donnarumma in goal. It's, they could do something. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I fancy them to sort of be there or thereabouts towards the end of the tournament and usually known for the defence. I mean, they haven't conceded a goal in the last five. Just looking here, I mean, all right, they've not had the best competition. But you know, you know what you're going to get with the Italians in terms of well-drilled, solid, and it's just up to them to score more goals than you. Um, which hasn't always been the case in tournament football. So watch this space. That'll be good. And obviously the big guns towards the beginning, the France-Germany game, as I said, he was going to be going out to watch it. And uh, yeah, should be good there. Should be good. Right, let us know your thoughts on who you're following, who you think is going to win it, who you think is going to be the top goal scorer. Hit us up, as always, on the socials, at Beer at Bants, at Podcast Play On. Right, just looking at the notes now, Cal. No worries, yeah. That that England squad squad is kind of exciting. Sorry, Italy squad is kind of exciting. You know, a couple of players from PSG in there, um, and senior up front, the uh, the Napoli striker. Um, yeah, hey, Bernadeschi from uh, Juventus got got a little yeah. bit of because They could do something, man. We'll see. We shall see. It's interesting that some squads have been named already, where England are sort of already just you know still deciding who to take. You know, Southgate come under to a bit of a criticism we're having so many right backs and it, it's played out since then that Trent um, Alexander's become 
injured. So it'll be interesting to see in today's friendly, obviously day recording Sunday, who makes the final cut. I thought the friendlies, you know, do friendlies show you anything this close to a big tournament? Players are trying to get into the first team. Players are trying not to get injured because of the tournament. Other mm. players know they're, know they're going home. You know, Jesse Lingard, for example, is told they might not be carrying on, but, you know, all it takes is an injury here or a great performance and, and he's he's back on the uh, he's back on the bus, so to speak. So do you think, you know, do you play too much into friendlies before a major tournament or do you think it's just sort of going through the motions? I don't know. I think friendlies are important to fill things out. I mean, uh, we've seen the squad numbers released for the England squad. Um, so we know that there's a fair few players in there already. Um, as you say, Trent unlucky misses out for injury. But in the last friendly, we did see Saka get a good goal. I mean, if it wasn't for the friendly, you probably wouldn't get to see some of those players that the manager is unsure about. And so for Southgate to have a good look at Saka in an England shirt, he hasn't got much international experience, has he? He likes him, doesn't he? he, he likes him. Well, we all do, don't we? He definitely looks like a bright young talent. Um if if you ask me, I think he's shown more potential than what Mason Green would have shown. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would argue with me on that. Um, but then, you know, Saka was playing really well for England in the friendly and uh, he scored. But there was actually a chance that he started a move and then he did the give and go, went ahead of the ball against Austria. And he when he did the give and go, he gave it to Harry Kane and... Saka was right in the middle of the goal. Like, if Kane would have just tapped it across, that was an easy goal. So Saka could have ended up with two goals. But Kane, being Kane, you know, he wanted to score. He took the chance on his left, didn't really hit it very well, and and he missed. But it could have been two goals for Saka is what I'm saying. It was a really good performance. And, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to see what could happen here because he could play a bit more in this tournament than what we all might think. It's like some people might think he's not going to play at all or he's going to play a bit part role. But I think the friendlies are important for someone like Gareth Southgate to look at these kind of fringe players and think, should I maybe try and get them involved a bit more? Yeah, definitely. Um, he's he's and, someone who's versatile, isn't he? He is. And and, and I think the, the squad is pretty strong, man. Like, you know, it's not just young players to be excited about, like Saka and, and Foden, um, Bellingham. You know, there's also the experienced campaigners that are looking like they're hitting form, you know, like John Stones, Luke Shaw. Um, you've got, um, obviously, Harry Kane, who's been in great form this season. I really like the way that Kane has added, like, an all-round quality to his game. I don't really see any weaknesses in his game. And I think that is going to be a key for England, especially if he does that kind of, like, dropping off a bit and pulling the strings, playing passes. He could be the one that plays a ball into Sterling or into someone that you didn't expect. Maybe Mount making a run from midfield, getting ahead of Kane. Kane playing a ball and Mount up putting it in the back of the net because that, that run can sometimes be the one that the defenders are last expecting. Um, so I think I think Kane's got a really important role to play for England. I think he can do something. We know Rashford can score goals. We know Sterling can score goals. Um, we'll have to see, man. I'm, I'm, I'm quite positive, though. I do think it's a good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm positive as well. So, at least the semi-final, and then we'll see how we go from there. Whether they can hold their nerve and, and then push on from there. Right. In other news, it has been um, tales of some managers 
some leaving, other signing extensions. Uh, we'll start off in Real Madrid, sort of the poison chalice of jobs. Zinedine Zidane uh, leaving Real Madrid because he no longer they he feels they no longer had faith in him. Um, even though they just narrowly missed out on winning La Liga, even though their history of winning you know X amount of Champions Leagues with the French World Cup winner, um, he stepped down, leaving as manager um, and then stepping in is Carlo Ancelotti leaving Everton and he signed a three-year deal to return as the Real Madrid coach which then should sort of you know offer up a, a whole other sort of interesting twist to La Liga in the Champions League moving forward I'm a big fan of Carlo Ancelotti uh, he returns to the Spanish couple to take over from uh, from his former assistant and um, yeah it's sort of Madrid just doing Madrid things he's getting the big names be interesting to see who they sign in the summer, if anyone. What's your thoughts on those managers, Cal? I think this 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 Zidane and Real Madrid story is really interesting, man. I mean, Zidane, as we know, was an absolute world class player in his day, the best of the best. And Real Madrid is where you know that was his playground. Um, so him as a coach, you would have thought that the relationship that he has with the club is just going to be really solid. And, you know, and he's won trophies for Madrid as a coach and as a player. Um, but it's that kind of club where if you don't win, you get that you get the axe. Like, I, I think when Ancelotti was last there, he, he won the Champions League. Um, and then the next season, he didn't win anything and they sacked him. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit harsh, so it's, it is absolutely bonkers what happens at Real Madrid um, I, I have my own suspicions that there might be a bit of a to- toxic kind of atmosphere going on there and in this article we've got from the BBC here there's a little quote from Zinedine Zidane that says for it to last longer the human relationships are essential they are more important than money more important than fame more important than everything they need to be nurtured so I think he's saying something about the human relationships in the club aren't quite right. And maybe that's the reason for him to leave the job, you know, because he felt he just couldn't continue with the way that the relationships were. Mm-hmm. Should be interesting. And, you know, Ancelotti's had a great run with Madrid, even uh, even though he was set when he won a few things, he was at hand for one of their longest runs of 20-odd games, I believe. I'm just finding the notes here. And 22 victories in a row between September 2014 and January 2015, scoring 80 goals and only conceding just 10. So he definitely, Crazy. yeah, definitely a great replacement for Sudan. Only so, conceded 10 goals. That is mm. insane. I mean, the thing is, right, I'm really glad that he's back in the big time because I did think that Ancelotti is way too big for Everton Football Club. No disrespect, Everton fans, but Carlo Ancelotti is, you know, we're talking Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho. Like, Ancelotti's up there. He's like, he's one of those, you know. Um, And for any of those names that I've just mentioned, you wouldn't expect any of those guys to be managing Everton Football Club. So for Ancelotti to end up there, I think that was just, it was just bizarre. But it happened, and he's got snapped up by Real Madrid, and I don't think anybody could step in his way and try and stop that from happening because yeah, when Madrid come, come. yeah, when Madrid come calling, you answer. Well, you um, know he deserves to be at a club of that stature as well. 
Definitely, definitely. And another manager who has impressed in his first season, Thomas Tuchel, who took over from Frank Lampard uh, for Chelsea, has decided or has been given the sort of green light to uh, they want to keep him on. And he signed a contract extension until 2024 following his league victory. I think we can all agree that upon his sort of arrival, Chelsea completely changed. They were defensively solid. They were uh, a lot more... Uh, zip and purpose in midfield and up front. Tuchel reinstated a few of the older guard defenders, Aspilicueta, Alonso there he had um, playing. And, you know, he's obviously come up good because they've won the Champions League for a second time. And there's no surprise that he's, he's staying on. So what will be really interesting to see now is what type of work they he does with his team over the summer, if they bring any players in, if they ship any out. And uh, he, he gets a whole season with them and, and, and I think they'll hit the ground running upon the return of the new season. And Werner, I know you mentioned Werner earlier, getting sort of missed opportunities and offsides. I think he's someone who's going to figure it all out and he's he'll definitely hit the, hit the ground running as the new season starts. So Thomas Tuchel signing. Chelsea fans have to be really happy with that. They've got a world-class manager who's obviously won something and who's figured out how to beat some of the bigger teams when it comes to the crunch, you know, when they beat Real Madrid and they beat Man City in the Champions League and they can get the, the league fixtures right. I think once he figures out as well the rotation system, because I know he had an eye on the Champions League final, they were rotating players for the Premier League, for which Arsenal saw the benefits of that beating them. But I think once he figures this squad rotation and what to do, they'll be on to more success. For sure. Um, and... Uh... Yeah, signing till 2024, I think that gives Tuchel a little bit of job security there and it gives him some time to maybe think long-term because Chelsea was starting to become one of these clubs like Real Madrid where if you don't win the league, you can just be sacked. Um, where maybe the coach, you're only going to be there for one or two seasons before you get replaced. But, you know, signing on until 2024, that's going to give him some time to think, OK, let's think about a long-term project instead of just thinking from season to season or maybe two years as a maximum. And mm. so, th- and that's great because now he can start to, to plan for the future. And maybe what you'll see is you'll see him working with young players um, in a way that maybe Arsene Wenger uh, looks at youth development, or maybe you'll see him um, doing something that, you know, he wouldn't ordinarily do when he thinks, okay, I've only got 18 months or I've only got 24 months here. You know, he's going to be here for a good long while. And I think we're going to see a prosperous era for Chelsea because how long has he even been in the job, man? He's taken over the job midway through the season and he's delivered the biggest trophy of all. Absolutely incredible. Di Matteo did a similar thing, didn't he, when he came in uh, as a caretaker manager at Chelsea. Um, And, Tuchel's kind of done a similar thing. But the difference being that, you know, he's not a caretaker. He's here for the foreseeable. Um, And uh, I think the exciting thing is that he already knows some of the players really well. So, you know, the Kai Havertz, the Timo Werner, um, he's going to be getting the best out of them. Next season, we're going to see a really strong Chelsea and for the foreseeable future, I think. Definitely. Talking about Chelsea, we've got an article here interesting that Paul Pogba, um, recently speaking to Eurosports France FC Stream Team podcast, uh, suggested that N'Golo Kante uh, would be a great shout and deserves to win the Ballon d'Or after leading Chelsea and becoming man of the match uh, this season. He says, I said 
a long time ago that it would be appropriate if Chelsea won for him to win the Ballon d'Or it would be deserved too and um, I think there's no qualms at the moment that N'Golo Kante is I know he didn't make our team in a year for defensive mid but you know now having won the Champions League and just being so dominant in that game and, and doing so well and expected to have a good Euros that he's on course for the best midfielder best defensive midfielder in the world um, he's entered with France of this so-called group of death with uh, Germany and Portugal as well so it'll be interesting to see how he goes up against them and uh, even though PSG's forward Kylian Mbappe is the bookies favourite head of Bayern Munich striker Robert Lewandowski Kante is currently third in the pecking order but I think he's got a contention for player of the year I mean usually it's the strikers it's the one who gets all the goals isn't it that gets all the glory but Kante is just there or thereabouts and he runs his engine he just runs and runs and runs and he seems like one of the nicest guys have you seen that video where everyone's touching or kissing the uh, Champions League and he just goes to it and he just gives it like a little thumbs up or something and walks past it yeah he just seems like like the, you, you can't hate on this guy, you know, even if you don't like the team or whatever, you just have to admire, respect N'Golo Kante, where he's come from and what he stands for. And he's just a great player, man. So good luck with that. Yeah, there's a, a really good article we've got from Eurosport here where they've got like a, an exclusive interview with Pogba and he talks up uh, his France compatriot N'Golo Kante. Yeah, really happy to see him getting the success. Um, he seems like a really humble guy, doesn't he? And it's uh, it's nice to see a humble champion. It is, it is. Um, talking from one chapter, Manchester City's all-time leading goalscorer has now signed for Barcelona. Um, Sergio Aguero will be leaving the Premier League after giving Man City and football fans years and years of joy and sort of classic moments and uh, he signed to Barcelona which is interesting because they're sort of a few players out the door I know they're trying to get Wijnaldum as well so it'll be interesting to see how Aguero if he's managed to last if he manages to last the whole season in Spain without getting fit or whether they're going to yeah, without getting injured sorry or if they're going to use him in parts and how he accompanies Messi and, and Griezmann and whatnot so should be interesting that I'm, I'm excited for Barcelona fans and watching Aguero to get goals in the Liga. I mean, when I first heard the news, I was a bit excited about it. But then on reflection, I thought, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Do you remember we were talking about how Barcelona need a rebuild and how they're struggling with all their elder statesmen? And under Coleman, their season was so terrible. So the, the next season needs to be better. I mean, sorry, not under Coleman. It was uh, before Coleman. But... They let go of, you know, Alex Vidal. They let go of um, Luis Suarez. They let go of yeah, a lot of their elder Yeah, loads of, loads and then of they go and, the door, and then yeah. they go and sign Sergio Aguero. He's like thirty-three, <laughs> the same age as Luis Suarez. And literally, the reason they let go of Luis Suarez is because he he was he was aging, and they wanted to bring in you know like younger players or whatever. So it just seems strange because Luis Suarez is going to run the league with Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona now brought in a guy who is the same age, and he's actually quite injury prone. When you look at his track record, it might be a bit of a risk signing Sergio Aguero. You know, he could mm-hmm. get injured in the first few games, and now their star striker's just out. Um, I mean, for me, it is an exciting move to see Aguero at Barcelona 
with Leo Messi. Um, you know, we could see some wonderful football between the two of them, obviously both being Argentinian internationals. And uh, I, I think they're actually really good friends outside of football as well. Um, so, you know, we could see some magic. But then there's rumours. I know we don't really do the, the rumours in the Gossip Punish podcast, but there's rumours that, you know, Messi might not stay. Um, his contract situation is still an issue. So we'll have to see what happens there. But I'm just a little bit concerned about what's going on with Barcelona in terms of their business and their recruitment policy. I think they're broke and they don't have money. And that's why they're going for all of these free transfers. Um, so, you know, that's why they, they're looking at Wijnaldum. And um, I think they've brought in someone else for free as well. The, the name escapes me right now. But, uh, yeah, money money troubles over at the camp now. Yeah, so watch this space. And just... Uh Staying on this one before we sort of start to wrap it up, uh, someone who enjoyed many formidable years in Spain on the other side, Real Madrid, the Cristiano Ronaldo impossible to ignore documentary is on BBC iPlayer, the story of the Portuguese footballer, his life and career revealing how he became one of the world's biggest sporting stars. And he's a global brand. He's a you know an ambassador. He's gone to different leagues all over the world. Oh, sorry, all over Europe and done you know one trophies done things i think at juventus at the minute it's not quite worked out for him but i'm sure he's gonna have a big euros as well have you watched this doc cal i have yeah i think it literally aired on bbc yesterday um and uh, and i gave it a quick butchers meanwhile i was you know playing fifa you know how i do trying to multitask um but uh what i did see and what i did hear was uh, a really great tale uh about the work ethic and how Cristiano Ronaldo became the player that he is today. You know, they spoke to some notable figures, people that have played with him, people that have coached him, um, people that have been in the media and analysing, you know, Gary Lineker was there, uh, Rio Ferdinand was there. And, you know, there's going to be some names that you don't know as well. But I, I definitely recommend it. I think it's really well worth a watch and for me Cristiano Ronaldo is a player I've been watching ever since he was uh, a young and at Sporting Lisbon and uh, so anything to do with Cristiano I'm definitely going to go for that yeah yeah I'm going to watch it at some point as well so there's something to watch if you're not already aware of it BBC iPlayer Cristiano Ronaldo right anything you want to wrap up any extra time Cal yeah Ronaldo's better than Messi Listen, the, the the debate is there. The debate is there. You can't just drop that and then we end it. But yeah, <laughs> I mean that debate will always be held, won't it? Until I mean, but if Messi's, Messi's contract's up, why doesn't he try and and move, man? Go to a different league, and that that will just shut people up. Mm. If he goes to um, the Italian league and he scores fifty goals, or if he goes to the the French league and he scores fifty goals, then I'm gonna have to stop saying, all right, well, he's only been in one league. He can't do it in another league, you know. I think, yeah. I mean, there's there's different arguments, obviously, as we as we gear towards the end. Everyone's got their own opinions about who's won what, who's done what at different stages of their career. But yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm not mad at that take in terms of lifting his team and doing it. But everyone has their own opinions, right? Any extra time, Cal? As we start to wrap this up, we've touched on team of the year. Premier League Team of the Year, comparing it to the podcast Play on Team of the Year, Champions League and Europa League final results and our views, the upcoming Euro fixtures of the first round, opening games, 
and in general news with managers, Ronaldo documentary, plus some others. Don't forget to hit us up at Beer at Bants at Podcast Play On. Cal, any extra time? Anything you want to add before we start to sign off? No, that will be all from me, sir. Nice, nice, nice. So, as always, guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you share. Make sure you tell someone. Give a review if possible. Even if you don't, don't worry. I won't hold it against you. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the football. The Euros start on Friday. And then before you know it, the Premier League will be starting up again. And it's just a constant carousel. I know Copa America's going to be going on as well. There's been some sort of political issues with being moved from different countries. So watch this space. And thanks for listening. Have a good week. Breaking news. Saka has been ruled out for England's final pre-Euro 2020 warm-up against Romania with a hip injury. No! That's okay, man. It's, it's chestnut checkers. He'll still go. They'll keep, him, they'll keep him on ice. Some of the tackles that were flying in the other day, um, England-Austria was like, come on, man, it's a friendly. Like. But uh, I think, you know, we'll get to see Phil Foden, the young god. Uh, a lot of the... A lot of the Top teams that were in the European uh, finals were were rested, obviously. Foden, Sterling, Mount, Reese James, who I think is now, you know, arguing can can get a get place in the team. Chilwell, maybe. I don't know if he got the call up, but uh, yeah, a lot of players were rested. Should be interesting to see what happens tonight. And then can't wait for the first game against Croatia. Come on, England. That's what I'm saying. Good night. <laughs>